0: G'day, you mob. Welcome to this episode of Aussie English, the number one podcast for anyone and everyone wanting to learn Australian English. G'day, guys. Today is an episode of The Goss, and I think you're going to get a lot out of it. I think you're going to enjoy it, especially if you are a whale or shark enthusiast, someone who likes whales or sharks, right? If you've got a, a bit of an animal lover's heart... I think that you'll enjoy this episode. So, effectively, what happened was that over the last few weeks, I've been gathering some stories together and I noticed a sort of pattern that a number of these stories were about whales and about sharks. So, I cleared out the other stories for this week and just decided to sit down with Dad and chat about our sea-dwelling friends, although sharks, I don't know if they're friendly or not, but they, um, they definitely scare me more than whales. And dolphins. We talk about dolphins, too. So, anyway, there are some really fascinating stories, guys. We talk about whales washing up on beaches dead and what that means in terms of trying to manage that biohazard problem. Because, you know, tens of tons of dead animal tend to be um, not very healthy, not very conducive to uh, healthy leisurely activities, if you like going to the beach. We talk about sharks attacking whales and killing them right? So, there was some incredible drone footage of this great white shark attacking a, a whale and, and successfully killing it and then predating it, eating it. So, we talk about that story. We also talk about the migration of southern right whales and humpback whales and also how they were almost whaled, well, hunted to extinction by whalers in the early years of of Australian colonisation. But anyway, guys, without any further ado, I give you my dad Ian Smithson and I having a yarn. Enjoy this episode of The Goths. Let's get into it. So, Dad, what's going on?
1: Hey, not much, Pete. Another, your beer it's different. another beer day. Yeah,
0: Yeah. so you were saying you really like these beers because they are by McFanning. Fanning. Right? No, no, that's Bolter.
1: Um, ah, this one's okay. from Bells Beach, so it's another surfing sort of thing, but ah. I don't think this is owned by a surfer necessarily. Associated so, it with um, Mick Fanning because of Bells Beach, but yeah. Um, sorry, Mick. No, sorry, Balter. Mick. Bolter, B-A-L-T-E-R. And yeah, Good. look- I do like this beer as well, and it's a local, so... Um, easy drinking. Easy drinking, and I do like Bolter because um, Mick Fanning and a couple of his surfer buddies, Mick Fanning for those of you who uh, aren't into surfing... Um, Is famous for two things. Um, He was a world champion several times on the world surfing tour, and he's also the guy who whose board got bitten by a shark. (laughs) His leg rope, right? Yeah, his leg rope. Great
0: great white shark grabbed his leg rope and pulled him backwards a bit, and he was like kicking like crazy. Exactly. And uh, crazily enough, all the other surfers came out to help him. Yeah. Well, that were in the the heat or whatever it was. That's I think right. that was at Bell's Beach, wasn't it? Or was no, I think
1: it was. It might have been South Africa.
0: Ah, okay, okay, uh, but something um, completely different.
1: Yeah, but um, yeah, he's he's uh, he and a couple of his mates have started this brewery called Bolter. Yeah, and uh, the reason I like it, apart from you know supporting uh, you know local people trying to do do well, uh, is because a lot of the profits go to um, homeless kids on the Gold Coast where it's set up and where he lives, um, yeah. encouraging them to get into surfing and go to school. So that's got to be a good thing. So.
0: Yeah, he seems like a really kind dude. He's an interesting Looking guy. Looking into him yeah. after after his surfing career, I think he's yeah. been working hard to sort of help help a lot of people.
1: Yeah, yeah, and mostly homeless kids, I think, because he grew up as a surfer on you know, the Gold Coast, and uh, obviously there's a there's a lot of you know, homeless kids and unemployed youth um, in the Gold Coast region. So.
0: Yeah. So, today I had a whole bunch of stories that I've sort of racked up over yeah, the last weeks. Yeah, I haven't got much, so
1: I haven't even got a puppies and kittens story. No? And the idiot of the week is the same one, so... Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I should say cheers. Cheers.
0: But I got a bunch of whale stories and shark stories. Whales and sharks today, so no
1: puppies and kittens,
0: but... Somehow they... I, I ended up getting a whole bunch of stories. I think there was like two whale ones and a shark one, I and I was
1: like... Once you find one, then I'll the, the, get a few the others search there. engine just finds them for you. So.
0: so, I thought we could start by saying, yeah, today's episode should be a whale of a time. <sighs>
1: <laughs> I got nothing. I, I don't have a pun that's that bad, so I'm I just going to have couldn't think of a shark expression.
0: That was the no. only whale expression I could think of, a whale of a time.
1: No, it's not a great one, but it'll have to do.
0: That's the only one that I could find, yeah. So, um, well, how could, how do we get into this? I guess, do you want to give a bit of history in terms of whaling and Australia? Because that was one of the first industries in Australia, It right? was an
1: industry that's older than uh, European Australia. Yeah. There were... Uh, There were whalers and sealers, so people taking whales and seals, um, whales for whale oil, Um, and before people discovered underground oil, uh, digging it up and (laughs) and, uh, getting it out to use for various things, whale oil was used mostly for um, lighting so you would have lamps that would lamps have whale oil and streetlights in them uh, and streetlights uh, yeah, well. street lights as so well yeah so were they some of those so
0: street lights that you still see in Melbourne the really really old ones they weren't
1: mountains? whale oil they were gas okay yeah uh, and the gas came after the whale oil but there would have been um, and obvious, there obvious there are other bits of you know, ambergris and things from you know from whales where you get about a whale kilogram out of a you know 30 ton whale more than that some <laughs> of them are crazy i've got yeah. this.
0: we can talk about ambergris my um i was about to say mystage which is portuguese i don't know why that came out but hey, later later yeah, later <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so when when Australia was colonised, whaling was already sort of happening around the oceans. Yeah, around Australia, So right?
1: there were people whaling around here. And, and certainly uh, just after Sydney uh, or what became Sydney, Sydney Cove, uh, was settled, there were whalers around the south coast of Australia in particular, South Australia, Victoria, Tasmania, which is where most of the whales um, have been and still are. Um, although we get humpbacks going up the east coast and the west coast um, during Mm -hmm. the summer. But year round, they're mostly around the south coast of Australia. So people were here whaling and creating virtual settlements. They They weren't permanent. But they were there for months and sometimes years Um, and not that people were there all the time, but they built little huts and things that they could come and go from. And then sealers did the same thing. Sealers were after um, seal skin for the fur uh, because it's really dense fur um, and made good coats uh, mostly for... um, this would have been the, equivalent, the northern hemisphere winters.
0: It would have been the equivalent, I guess, of the beaver trade in the yeah, North yeah, America in, yeah, in the United exactly. States and Canada before they were either of those.
1: Yeah, and look, the irony is that they, while well, they call them sealers, and we generically call them seals, they're not seals; uh, they're eared seals. Well, or sea lions. They are. They're just not uh, the same. Yes, different, a different family group, uh, different group of them. But um, whereas the uh, the seals that are mostly being taken for fur in the northern hemisphere are true seals. So.
0: And the difference between the two is effectively, yeah, that, that seals with- The ones that you'll find around the coast of Australia will be the eared the seals. The eared seals. And you'll see that lines, they can lift- yeah. Their their back legs can support their body weight, so they yeah. can actually hold their whole body weight up and sort of gallop along the, the ground. On. Yeah. so you'll see Rather s- than
1: dragging themselves along the ground.
0: Yeah. yeah. Whereas the seals like- um, What would you say, elephant seals and everything? Elephant seals, leopard seals, seals closer to the poles, and they tend to drag their. They Mm. can't actually support their body weight with the um with the back legs. No, exactly. So, but they're pretty cool animals. But it is pretty sad, right? Because you had these groups. I guess they would have been independent ships, right? Maybe groups of ships Mm. that were going through, effectively just rampaging, like filling their ships with as much um, oil, yeah, whale oil, skin, yeah, exactly. meat as they could yeah. and then just, what, going back to Europe and selling it or yeah. selling it in the colonies.
1: Most, I think it was mostly selling it back in Europe.
0: Mm. I haven't done that much research on them aside from knowing that they were obviously in and around the place, but th- did they... Have any sort of real appreciation for the resource that they were harvesting and trying to maintain it? Or they would just like, get in there, take take as much as you can?
1: Realistically, when we're talking about people, certainly whaling, when you're talking about people with a, a whaling ship was even a fairly small ship. Yeah. And the actual hunting of whales was done in large rowboats. Yeah, uh, by you know, sort of eight to ten men in a rowboat with a a manually thrown a hand thrown harpoon. Well, the thing
0: that comes to mind is um, um,
1: what is it? The white whale, Moby Dick. Moby Dick. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. white
0: whale going after him, and you know the I've, what's the story again? Is it called Moby Dick? The yes, story. Moby
1: Dick is the name of the book.
0: Where yeah. they're they're chasing that um, white whale mm. and um, obviously demonising it a bit. But yes, it, and that it was a sperm whale. It I think. was. Yeah. But they were out in those dinghies, those small boats, you know, six Roman or
1: something woman, mm-hmm. and they
0: used those hand thrown hand thrown harpoons. harpoons.
1: So, yeah, you know, realistically you're not going to catch a huge amount in yeah. comparison with what we can do now with factory ships and you know <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and harpoons that are no longer being thrown by a person, they're coming out of a giant cannon on the on a ship.
0: And they electrocute them.
1: Yeah. To kill them pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, look, I, I don't think that, yeah, seals were different uh, because well, they would seals were land. caught on land. Yeah. And and so, you're, just, you're literally just going around and stabbing or clubbing seals. Yeah. Um, and so, you could significantly impact the population of them, uh, whereas whales, I don't think they did for a while. Um, but then more and more people started to do it, uh, and then the whale population started to crash.
0: Well, some of the rarest seals in the world are the Australian is it the Australian fur seal or Australian, Australian sea lion? Australian
1: sea lion. Sea lion is yeah. the one that, that was really is, is threatened or was, but yeah. it's uh, there's a fairly large population of them. But the Australian sea lion, uh, which occurs on the South Australian coast, the biggest population is on Kangaroo Island. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, their population is thousands. It's not hundreds of thousands.
0: Why is that taken so much longer to bounce back? Because I remember I was looking up today- the um, statistics for, I think it was the humpback whale that was absolutely smashed by whaling. So counts conducted in two thousand and six indicate that from an estimated two hundred to five hundred humpbacks that were left in the wild in nineteen sixty two, the current East Coast population has grown back to about eight thousand animals. And I think today there was a news story that came out that said now it's expected to be more than thirty five thousand. Yeah. So last year's numbers were up to up by four hundred and eighty six from twenty eighteen. It's increasing ten to fifteen percent a year. Yeah, Yeah. Which is absolutely insane, right? In terms of Um, It is. And you would think whales would breed a lot more slowly than the population can just bang. Obviously, they're
1: fairly successful. Yeah. uh, With very little hunting of whales now, Um, it means that, yeah, if you've got 10 to 15%, it probably means that 50% of the adult females are pregnant in any one year. And so you've still got a fairly successful you know population growth there, uh, southern right whales are the other ones. The reason they were called right whales is because they were the right whales to catch. Yeah. they had a lot of oil and they were slow and they didn't they weren't scared of boats, so they'd hang around the yeah. same thing with humpbacks. It wasn't that they were necessarily the best whales to catch; they were the easiest whales to catch because you know, even now, if you go out whale watching off the east coast of Australia, um, the humpbacks will come right up to the boats. Uh, they're oh, they're curious, right, yeah. They're too. curious. They want to know what's going on.
0: There was an insane um, video that that um, I, I don't know if I'm covering this in today's list of stories, but there was an absolutely insane video. I think I think it was off Bo Morris. Yes. Yeah, so, that was. was in the bay. In
1: Port Phillip Bay. Yeah, yeah.
0: which was just insane because Shallow you think the, the opening of the bay is probably two kilometres, three yes, kilometres. Three kilometres, yeah. And there are ships going through there constantly and Morris is at the complete opposite end right near Melbourne. Yeah. You know, effectively straight up. Yeah. It's what, 70 kilometres yeah. from the well, is probably to,
1: 50 kilometres to, uh, to the heads. Yeah.
0: And so, there was a guy in a- In a small boat, it would have been like four metre dinghy where he was just fishing and he's sitting there with his smartphone and you just see the smartphone turn on or whatever, like the video starts and he looks in the water and there's a- I think it's a right whale right next to his (laughs) boat, just twisting and looking. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I was so amazed at how gentle they can be.
1: Yeah. And look, they're- they're obviously so aware of themselves in the water as well, where they can, yeah, they come right up next to a boat and then they'll flip around and you'd think, oh, there's a danger of being whacked by their tail or whatever, but they don't. Yeah. Well, it's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And we were watching a documentary called The Magical Land of Oz, which has got Barry Humphreys uh, narrating it. And it's about, obviously, Australian um, wildlife, the Australian environment. And he was, you know, showing a bunch of... I think they were humpback whales playing with dolphins. Mm. And so, when they were coming up the coast, I think they were in the Great Bight and they were going along the coast, whether to the west or to the east, to then go and breed up in the warmer waters. Um, They're they're just interacting with dolphins and just playing with them in the shallows. And you're just like, it's just crazy to see species of different- different species. Playing together, and well, these I, are
1: highly intelligent animals. What well, well, was
0: the like, same? Yeah. It was the same for the seals when they were showing the sea lions. I think there must have been fur seals as well, or something, and they were showing. I think at Kangaroo Island how they play in the rock pools mm. when they're young in yeah, order to try and develop their skills, learning
1: swimming skills. And, and there are multiple species, in they playing with one another. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and
0: you are just like, isn't that crazy that for millennia these different species have been interacting with one another mm-hmm. like that? Yeah.
1: And look, they interact with humans as well. I wonder mm. if you've ever been swimming with seals. They they are really interested in what's going on with you. Yeah, they're um, like
0: little dogs, right, in the yeah. water. and they. Except they're a lot more, um, what would you say, uh, they can manoeuvre themselves in a yes. much more delicate uh, way. Yeah, exactly. and Rapidly in yeah. the water. And it's so funny to see them out of the water because they seem so clumsy and like... Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, but as soon as you see them in the water, mm. they're like just fluid motions and they can move so quickly. It's just insane. Yeah,
1: last time I was swimming with seals was um, in the Galapagos about five years ago. And... They- the pups in particular, sort of half grown, Yeah. Um, are really inquisitive. Just no fear. And no fear. And nothing in the Galapagos seems to have fear of humans. But- <laughs> um, and they come up- they actually come up and and kiss nose the mask. Really? They're actually pushing like, the mask into your face. Just very gently, yeah. but just going, oh, I'm going to get as close. Like, their whiskers are actually touching you.
0: And- See, I think I'd be crapping myself if I saw seals, because that would instantly tell me there's probably sharks, the sharks. nearby that are going to yeah, be hunting Yeah, you seals, don't- so. you
1: don't go- swimming with seals off the coast of South Australia where they're or breeding the colonies yeah, are yeah, exactly yeah, where there's a big great smack. white sharks just hang around going oh
0: well and that's the, the stuff that they do right with I think it's in New Zealand Australia and, and South Africa where they'll have boats with a, a boogie board that they'll cut into the shape of a small seal and mm. drag across the surface of the water and, and they'll enough, show the, come up. the great yeah. white sharks will be below and then just come up out of the water grab them and just bang yeah. you know hit the surface and yeah. hopefully shred them to bits. But you're just like, this is just insane behaviour. <laughs> um, so, going back to whaling, there were a number of whaling stations. And I guess that would have begun as soon as we colonised or was that shortly after it where they became established? Shortly after,
1: where they became a, a, a supported commercial enterprise rather than just being the privateers who would just go and create their own little, you know, station somewhere. And whaling stations were created in order to do the factory work yeah. um, uh, on land rather than having to do it on board ship. Because particularly when you're doing sa- you've got sailing ships, you- you've got no way of having a big enough ship um, that you can, yeah, as a small privateer, that you can get a big enough ship that you can actually be slaughtering, butchering, melting down, yeah. <laughs> doing all those sort I, of things. So. I
0: wonder how they did it back then. I don't know enough about how the the, the process of whaling. Was carried out because you can imagine it must have been so arduous to try and go out and catch this forty-ton animal or whatever. Did they just drag it back into the whale whaling station? Because I assume it would have been impossible to get on board the the boat itself, at least not not without chopping it up in the water. Like how? how Yeah, I'm not sure how they did it back in the sailing ship days, but
1: certainly um, the the last. I think it was the last whaling station in Australia it was in Albany in Western Australia, yeah. and it shut down sort of late 70s, early 1980s. Uh, really?
0: I thought it was um, outlawed in the 60s. No, no. I visited it in
1: 1974 as a tourist uh, mm. on a school trip back 100 years ago. <laughs> and so, well, 46 years ago. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, they were still... And that literally, they would, yeah, the boats would just bring them up and then they'd just... You know, hook them round the tail on a big winch and drag them up a, a yeah. ramp, uh, and butcher them on the ramp, basically. Uh- so, you know, it was a fairly disgusting thing to go and see with, you know... Just because of the size? Well, just, you know, butchering any animal is not a particularly pleasant thing to see. Yeah. But an animal of that size and the smell, because, you know, the smell of a freshly killed animal is... is there isn't one, really, but yeah. when you've got, you know, just sort of literally blood and guts around all over the place, uh, you know, being washed back into the sea. So, so do you remember what was going
0: on with why they were wanting to outlaw it like did the was there a big uproar at the it was time a in Australia, issue. and they yeah. realized the numbers were yeah. plummeting
1: yeah. and look yeah it was it was a conservation issue was the push to to kill off the industry but the industry was dying anyway because yeah. there really just wasn't you know we we'd gone more than a century without requiring the use of we had uh, uh, whale oil right. and yeah you yeah, know, got electricity and oil and gas and so on uh, and so, there really just wasn't that much of an industry around whale products. So,
0: Yeah, and it was crazy. I guess it's sort of the industry went bananas in the um, mid-1800s, right? And they killed, I think, based on the numbers here, 40,000 whales on migration, at least throughout that period, which it sounds like a lot. But I guess it would have been spread across almost, what, 150 years, mm. maybe 140, 130 and years. And several species. Yeah. Yeah. So. But that was obviously still, in terms of the humpback whales, got them down to numbers of 200 to 500 yeah, in yeah. the 60s. That was a big reason they were just like, these are about to go extinct. So, we need to do something. Yeah, exactly. So, do you want to touch on a little bit about um, uh, Sea Shepherd and Japan's hunting of whales? I mean, it's a touchy issue. I've, ha- I've had some Japanese followers at times criticise me wearing the Sea Shepherd T-shirt you know, saying that it's very offensive, and I I guess I understand that they see that it's their right to be able to wail, but do you want to give us a, a sort of, I guess, Australian viewpoint of why we see Sea Shepherd as, I don't know, about heroes- because they they're kind of idiots at times oh, too, anti-heroes, almost. Yeah, it's almost like Greenpeace, right? They do a lot of dumb shit in order to. It's a means to an end. Well, yeah. Do you want to give uh, a some bit of that of is a, about
1: publicity uh, for the Japanese
0: and, listening? Do you want to give them a bit of an idea of where Australians stand on whaling and why, so that they yeah, can at least and I, understand? And I think it
1: comes from that movement in the fifties, and the sixties, and the seventies to yeah. to wind down the Australian whaling industry. And it was conservation. It was just simply saying that there's no justification for catching whales anymore because the products that were traditionally being used from whales had all been replaced by other things. Yeah. They were obsolete. And they were obsolete. They didn't. It was no longer required. Um, and from a conservation point of view, we had populations that were crashing and yeah. getting to yeah to near extinction point where you know if you get less than a hundred animals in a probably two hundred in a population that will only breed every second or third year. Uh, with individuals, then, you know, the chance of that recovering while you're still hunting them is close to zero. Well,
0: and beyond that, you've lost a great deal of genetic diversity so that the more you yeah. whittle it down, yeah. and it's probably an exponential thing when you've got 10,000 individuals down from 100,000, mm-hmm. it's probably like, okay, that's bad, but it's not that bad. But when you go from 10,000 to 1,000 or ten, or 1,000 to 100, yeah. you're losing exponentially more genetic um, diversity and in yeah, population. the chance of genetic
1: bottlenecks, which is that you know, the the, yeah. the biological term for it, where you're reducing the uh, the genetic diversity to the point where there's a significant chance that they will all be so closely related that you will either have reproductive problems or there are problems of disease or disaster that means that the genetic pool that you have is no longer able to uh, to cope. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was really where we were in the, you know, 50 or 60 years ago. And then I think whales just became, and they've always been a fascination for people, but I think they just became one of those signature animals for conservation because they are, they're big, and obviously big means interesting, um, but they're intelligent as well and that if you go whale watching and many people do um you you're actually interacting with the animal it's not just oh look there's a whale 500 meters offshore you know leaping up in the air and going splash um in many cases they're coming up to the boat and uh, and interacting with you and i think that gives people a a sort of an emotional response as well even if you never do it yourself the idea that animals will do that uh, has meant that many australians simply say well why would we be killing these animals and um, And so, look, the other side, of course, is that, you know, Japanese, Norwegians, Icelanders, um, Alaskans are saying that, well, this is something that we do. We just catch whales for food. Uh, This is no longer about whale oil or any of those things. It's about food. Um, The counter argument to that is do you need to eat whales? Now, some small indigenous populations, that's the food they've got. You know, you live in northern Canada or Alaska. Uh, and you're a small indigenous population, there's not much else to eat. (laughs) so. Well, and it would be
0: like if there were still indigenous people living in Tasmania or something, and they were like, well, it's our culture to Mm. hunt and kill and consume Tasmanian devils. You would be like, all right, I understand it, but they're also endangered and, you know- we want to at least make sure that whatever you end up doing is sustainable to the point that yes. the Tasmanian devil as a species isn't going to be impacted negatively.
1: Mm. And we have um, indigenous populations in Northern Australia who have ha- traditional food is turtle. Yeah. and Which, isn't in- which, which is- tend to be endangered species. That four are very- or five species are endangered or threatened, um, all of which live in Australia and breed in Australia. Yeah. Um, and- our laws allow those Indigenous populations to continue to hunt and eat turtles. But those populations of Indigenous people are also the ones that are involved in the conservation. Exactly. They're the ones that are helping the conservation by retaining breeding beaches and you know, isolating them and helping people move eggs when there are, you know, cyclones that yeah. destroy beaches and so on. So, it's in their interest to be involved in the conservation as well. And well, I think
0: that's a big part of it. It's educating them, saying, you know, it's one thing for you to go out and kill these turtles, but we need to. We want to maintain that population so that you can continue to do that forever, and so that the ecosystem stays as healthy as possible. And so, if you can be empowered with mm. the the information and knowledge to further this cultural practice for yourselves, as well as allow everyone else to yeah, exactly have and those species. I the, think, but the biggest problem with with that sort of thing, hunting animals like turtles and whales, is that they're not locally isolated they move around a great deal. Yes. And so, if you're hunting turtles on the beaches of Australia in summer when they're coming up and laying eggs and they're found on the reef and they're full of all these eggs that you can eat, it's it's sort of like you think, okay, well, the turtles are from here. It's like, no. They actually migrate to the other side of Singapore or something, yeah. and they may be part of another in culture's some cases food. Way across the Pacific, exactly. Yeah. And so you sort of need to you need that bigger perspective as well and a better understanding of their biology, or else mm. you can negatively impact yeah. other people elsewhere, other ecosystems elsewhere. And so yeah. I think there's also a difference important.
1: with um, and not just indigenous, but. Um, any individual people who are out you know fishing in this example in the case of turtles and whales or even you know fish they're doing it on a small they're doing scale it, <laughs> they're doing it to feed themselves it's not a commercial enterprise I where there think is they a, would have
0: no leg to stand on if they were like we're going to buy all these big turtling ships yeah, exactly. and we're just going to harvest them going to Malaysia or you
1: yeah, wherever <laughs> yeah, but, it's our right um, yeah so <laughs> i think that's the difference in yeah. that if you're If you're taking endangered animals because it's a cultural thing and you're you're doing it to feed yourself, then you are taking enough to feed yourself. It therefore is going to be sustainable. Uh, Whereas as soon as it becomes commercial and there's a self-interest in collecting more because you can sell more, then that's a problem.
0: This is the thing with whaling, I guess, and the issue that we have with the Japanese in Australia was not because they were Japanese and not even necessarily because they were killing whales or that, although I think for the average person in the street, if you were to just say to them, are you okay with someone killing whales, they would give you a sort of like, oh, that's a a really horrible thing to be doing, Mm. but- You know, you could just say, "Well, we do the same thing to to cows, to sheep, to all these other animals that are arguably just as sentient as whales. Maybe not as intelligent, but the issue was that at least the Japanese boats were coming into Australian waters, right? Well, he's coming through Australia. G'day, mate." That was the first half of this episode of The Goss. If you would like to continue watching or continue listening to this episode, make sure that you sign up for the premium podcast or academy memberships at aussieenglish.com.au where you will get full access to these entire episodes of this series and much, much more. You can go check that out using the links below or just go to aussieenglish.com.au. Once again... Thank you so much for joining me, mate, and I will see you next time. Peace.